Welcome back to That Wasn't In My Textbook, the bi-weekly podcast that uncovers the things we always wish we learned from that boring, bulky textbook. I'm your host, Toya, and you're now listening to episode four, The History of Police. Friday, everyone. I can't believe we're already on episode four. And I can't believe we're almost in August. Time is flying. But I have a quick little update. We have a website, y'all. Yes, if you type in that wasn't in my textbook.com, boom, our website shows up. It is a great place to go if you want to look at our show notes, which are just links to articles and books and things that I use to create these episodes. So if you want to take a deeper dive into some of the topics that we've already covered, definitely go to our website and check out our show notes. I also include links to all of our guest information. So if you want to learn more about them and support them, you can find links to their information on our website. And of course, our website also includes a little about me section that tells you all about your historian homie. And because people have been asking, I created a donate button on the top right corner. So if you're feeling like donating and if you're in a position financially to donate because we are experiencing a pandemic that has put a lot of us in a tight financial bind, including myself. So don't feel any pressure. But if you are in that position and you're looking to support the podcast, you know, with a little coin or two, (laughs) that's where you can do it. And it links to our PayPal. Um, But don't feel any pressure at all uh, to donate in that way because just simply listening to the podcast, sharing it with your friends, reposting it on social media is more than enough um, support. And I really, really do appreciate it. So that's a quick little announcement. We upgraded y'all as we got a website. So (laughs) check it out. Let me know what you think. If you have any feedback, see any typos, holler at me. (laughs) So let's get into this episode today because it's about the history of, you know, a group known as the cops, also known as pigs, 12, five bow, police, whatever you want to call them. And this week I'm joined by Will Cooper, a host, writer, and executive producer of Politics in 60 Seconds, which is an Instagram series that he does on IGTV that is for millennials and Gen Zs to really help us figure out how to participate in politics. In particularly letting us know what the hell is going on with U.S. 2020 elections, you know, the local elections and and the presidential elections. So you should definitely check that out. He recently did a 60 second episode where he condensed the history of police into one minute. And I was just simply impressed. And I learned so much from that 60 seconds of my life about the history of police that was never in our textbooks. So it only, you know, felt like we should definitely invite him to the podcast, right? And so in this episode, you're going to learn about the earliest traces of police and their connection to slavery and enforcing slave laws. We're going to talk about where the concept of police came from. We also look at the relationship between police and black bodies and black neighborhoods and where the tension and the distrust for police came from, from black people and how it's pretty justified in that. We also look at the modern day version of what policing looks like. And then we get a little sidetracked. Will and I, we talk about reparations, but it all makes sense. So coming back for that conversation. And then we also talk about what we think and hope for the future of policing. We have like a little debate between like abolish police or defund police. So if you're if you're on one of those stances, you know, go to one of our social media platforms, probably Instagram would be best, and let us know where you stand. Are you abolish abolish or defund police? All right. So the inspiration for this show, I think it's pretty pretty evident, right? If you have been quarantined, which I hope you have, um, being safe out there, unless you know you're an essential worker, we appreciate you 
on the front lines. But if you have the ability and the privilege to be quarantined and work from home, then you should really know what's been going on for the past six months you know, as we battle COVID-19, a virus that's attacking our bodies, and how we also have been battling police brutality and racism in particular during this pandemic, a virus that has been here for centuries, hundreds of years, if we're honest. So this episode was inspired by the many black bodies, the countless black bodies that we have lost at the hands of the police, as well as the Black Lives Matter movement, which is in particularly on a rise right now as we are all forced to keep our asses at home and have no travel to really distract us, no work trips. And for those of us who are working from home, no office politics to really distract us from this thing that many people have been ignoring. So if you've been on online, if you turn on the news, if you've been on Twitter, if you've been on Instagram, then you have seen videos, you have seen people talking about this, you have seen protest nation and worldwide about police brutality. So those are the things that have inspired this episode. So before we jump into the great topics and debate that Will and I have, let's learn a couple of historical things we should know about the history of police. Like what's the oldest record of police here in America? Why were police created? And what is the present day purpose and use for police? And all of these answers will help us get a better understanding of how we got to where we are today. And with the idea of defunding police and in some cases abolishing police. And we're gonna really understand the history of police brutality, which would explain anger that is expressed through the protests, the riots, the looting, and the songs like MWA's Fuck the Police. <laughs> so textbook mainstream history says that the first modern-day police department in America was in Boston in 1838, but I call bullshit. <laughs> you know, crime historians have even highlighted that the first publicly funded police agencies started in the American South in the 1700s, and they were known as slave patrols. They were particularly in the Carolinas, you know, North Carolina, South Carolina. And their role was not to serve and protect, right? The role that, the motto that is pushed today in the agenda of what the police are here for. But they were to enforce the slavery system. They were empowered to catch runaway enslaved people, to break up gatherings of enslaved people, to regulate movements of slaves and free blacks, and to stop slave revolts. It was kind of considered like a neighborhood watch, if you will. And it white people were by law, required to serve on these patrols, and they were fined if they didn't like do their shift because it's about maintaining the neighborhood. Yeah, and it ranged from very poor individuals to plantation owners that served on these patrols, and it really was to ensure control over black bodies. And they were known for ding, 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 brutality, right? And there was no courts or anything like that to have rights. Black people during that time were seen as slaves and they were enslaved and they didn't have any rights. So whatever was done to them by these slave patrols were done to them and that was it. From the early establishment of slave patrols in the 1700s, we jump about 160 years forward because then slaves are set free. The Civil War happens and slavery is abolished and now there's 400 million emancipated blacks who are quote unquote free and you know white folks especially southern white folks they're salty they no longer have free labor in the form of enslaving people right so they're just like where am I going to get people to work for free you know they don't want to pay that overhead cost and then there's also the belief that black people are not equal that they're not intelligent etc etc so then we see the seamless transformation from slave patrols to police and to the formation of KKK. And 
in the formation of actual laws now that uphold segregation and not allowing equality for black folks. One of the first things that after slavery is abolished, we get the 13th Amendment, which says that slavery and involuntary servitude is illegal. But there's a little fine print in the amendment that a lot of people don't know about. And that fine print says that it's prohibited to slavery is prohibited and involuntary servitude is prohibited except as a punishment for a crime. So pretty much you become a slave if you commit a crime. That's the only time it's okay if you're a criminal. And so we see in the South and particularly after the slaves are free, they create these black codes, also known as Jim Crow laws, which target black people trying to make them criminals to put them into the crime and prison system so that they can get free labor. So these black codes were pretty ridiculous. The law, they were actually laws enforced by the police. Laws like attitudinal offenses. So you could get locked up for showing attitude and, you know, not showing proper respect. All really like things that you can't fight or prove, right? It's like he said, she said type of stuff. There was even a black code in South Carolina that prohibited black folks from holding a job other than being a farmer or a servant. So if you were in South Carolina and you were black and you tried to get a job outside of that, that was a crime. Okay. (laughs) There were other laws as well. There was another black code that said that, you know, as a worker, as a black worker, you were contracted to your boss for a full year. And if you broke that contract, you were going to be fined and go to jail. So for instance, if you agreed to maybe be the maid for a white woman, right? And six months into it, you're being treated poorly. Maybe they're not even paying you. You know, you, according to these laws and to the police, right? You could not leave that job. You'd have to be there for a whole year. And so if you left, you would go to jail and you would be labeled a criminal. And in that time in prison, you would be doing free labor. Okay. I'm hoping I'm making the connection clear. So overall, the 13th Amendment loophole and the Black Codes together set up this standard for police to to police black behavior and to criminalize black people, black folks. And you pretty much get locked up for bullshit for any little thing. It's legal. And it was a legal way for black folks to be a part of a new form of slavery through policing, through laws, and through prisons. So, so police were a mechanism for enforcing racism. So we go from slave patrols to 13th Amendment loophole paired with black code slash Jim Crow laws. <sighs> All right. So from there, we jump another 56 years into a time period in history where there was the Great Migration. So the 19, 1917, around that time. And this is where thou, hundreds of thousands of black folks flee the South, fleeing these black codes and Jim Crow laws to seek economic freedom in the North and you know, in some cases, even thinking that they would have more equality in the North versus the South, right? But this is where we start to see how the North starts to paint black folks as criminals. And they do this by using academics like professors, you know, I don't know why I have that accent, and census data. So, Census data is collected, particularly in the South, that show these high numbers of black folks in prisons because they're overrepresented because of what black codes and Jim Crow laws. So you see that there are three times as many black folks. I think it's actually five times as many black folks in the 
prison system versus white folks, right? And so they, so academics in the North, you know, they get on the news, they type up their newspapers, and they start to show these census data. And this was the process that media used to pr- to paint black folks as criminals because the idea and the thought process was, right, it's been about 56 years since slaves were free, right? And so what are black folks doing with their freedom? And the answer was they're committing crimes and they use the census data as proof. And during this time, you also start to see the criminalization of other groups of color as different groups of people start to migrate into this country. And so police start to, you know, enforce and brutalize black people because they are criminals, they are dangerous, and that's why there's so many in prison and we should all be scared. Well, we not including me because I'm black. Then we jump another about 50 years, and that's when we get into the Civil Rights Act and the Civil Rights Movement. So not until the Civil Rights Act of 1964, 100 years after slavery is abolished, that they finally abolished black codes and the Jim Crow laws in the South. I think I should repeat that. It took 100 years as a result of the passing of the Civil Rights Act in 1964 for black codes and Jim Crow laws to be abolished. Think about that. Think about how many black people were unlawfully arrested for trying to leave their job before the year was over, for showing attitude, who were locked up and imprisoned and forced to do labor. Just... That's just, you know, how many black people were probably also murdered during that time? Because, you know, we didn't have phones. We didn't have Twitter. We didn't have those things. And I think it was Will Smith who said, you know, it's not that more black people are being killed by police. It's that they're now being filmed because what? We have camera phones now. Before, I'm pretty sure there's many people who witnessed and couldn't say anything. So don't get it twisted. You know, during this time, during this century, hundreds, a hundred years, that's what a century is, black folks didn't just lay down and take the bullshit. During this time, black people spoke up about police brutality. W.E.B. Du Bois even had, you know, a magazine with the NAACP where he like listed police brutality reports. And Ida B. Wells also organized around police violence, the KKK and lynchings, which were all a part of policing, the history of police. And one of the first series of race riots broke out in the 1920s, which is, we're in 2020, that was 100 years ago in Philly and Chicago after the death of a 17-year-old boy in Lake Michigan who crossed a color line in the water, in the water, people. So, <clears throat> you know, following the Civil Rights Act and the abolishing of black codes, it doesn't mean things change. There's still police brutality, as you, as I just reported. There's many, many incidents of black people being killed by police. And so then you see, following the Civil Rights Movement, the rise of the Black Panther Party, because following the peaceful protests of the civil rights movement, the party, the Black Panther Party was just like, fuck that. And they armed themselves because they recognized that police, that police were the problem and that police brutality was an epidemic. And, you know, the media really fixates on the Black Panther Party. You know, they look, they really focus on their drip, you know, the black leather you know they did look good I'm not gonna give them that they but they also manipulated Black Panther's party mission by focusing on like the gun is power slogan when actually the Black Panther party initially started to police the police those are kind of like the four main pivotal moments in history that I think are important when we talk about the history of police and police brutality. The early beginnings of the slave patrol, 
the formation of black codes and Jim Crow laws after the abolishment of slavery to create this new form of slavery of crime and criminals. And then, you know, the great migration of criminalizing black people in the North through census data and media and lies. And then ending it, ending the civil rights movement really, again, highlighting the history of police brutality that has been going on for hundreds of years and calling it out. And then the rise of the great Black Panther Party that understood and recognized police brutality and how it was encouraged and created and deeply ingrained in the formation of police. And so we see that policing has not been happening since the birth of America, even though our textbooks would say that, and that it was about serving and protecting, but it really was about monitoring the black body and the eruption over police brutality today is really a combination a combination of a bunch of things that have been happening over and over and over and over again and the history of police is about enforcing you know the color line and protecting white folks and labor it was never about protecting black communities. It was more about keeping black communities condensed and away. And scholars and historians agree that the transition from slave patrols to publicly funded police agencies and private prisons was seamless in the southern region of America. So yes, that is the history of police summed up vaguely. And these are some facts you should know. Black people are three times more likely to be killed by a police officer than a white person. In Minneapolis, black people are 13 times more likely to be killed by a police officer than a white person. All right. Now that we've covered the deep problematic history of police, let's jump into the interview with Will Cooper. So I'm really excited to have you as a guest here on That Wasn't My Textbook podcast. Thank you for having me. And I'm going to have you just like first introduce yourself because I know uh, you do a lot of things and um, I want to share that with the audience. So can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah. So uh, I'm the host, writer, and producer of a uh, Instagram content series called Politics in 60 Seconds. Uh, our primary focus is to engage uh, and inspire Gen Z and millennials to engage in politics and civics, both in voting, but just in, in general politics and civics as a conversation. Uh, and we have a specific focus on a, a little old election we have coming up in 2020. So like, like four and a half months. Yeah, no one, yeah, no one knows where I'm leading with this. But, uh, yeah, so we, we really, we, we focus in on the political sphere as well. Uh, and we try to be really quick, obviously politics in 60 seconds, Surprise, it's really short. Uh, I realized that, you know, millennials and Gen Zs were doing 10,000 things, working four jobs to pay off our student loans. So like, we, yeah. you know, things gotta be quick, right? We yeah. don't have a lot of time. So condensed, condensed. <laughs> we just wanted to get it as packed and as tight as we possibly can. Uh, we don't always get there, but we, we try to get really close. Um, but yeah, so we just wanted to get, get a, a conversation started that's really focused on millennial and Gen Zs because millennials, we've actually become the largest voting block in the United States. So wow. if we, we go out in mass, we can, we can uh, throw our weight around it. Basically. Yes. Okay, so let's jump into policing. Let's do it. So how do you, I always, this is my signature question, how do you define police or what's your definition of police? You know, I, I looked at this question before and I was like, I don't know how I'm going to answer that. So <laughs> what I think I'm, okay, so I, I guess I break it into two different things. I break it into like the story of policing that Hollywood has kind of, and Dick Wolf and Law and Order and mm -hmm. all those like Lethal Weapon, like all those movies <laughs> I have in my head, like, yes. you know, Serve and Protect, you know, uh, Cop with you know, emotional weaknesses overcomes in the end of the day and saves the day. So like, I have that, like, I still have that like programmed vision of policing in my head. Yeah, and according um, to like the dictionary, it's just like, you know, someone who's like the prevention and detection of crime 
and the maintenance of public order. Word, yeah, like that. Like this, this these are the things that I, I would love to lie. To. Supposed to be. Yeah, right. Like I would love to lie to you and say that, the, like I don't think about it that at all. But it's like it's still in my head in some way. Uh, I think though, in practice, and I am not saying every single person that's ever been a police officer is a member of the Ku Klux Klan. I'm not saying that. But <laughs> what I am saying is like, in practice, the institution of policing, you cannot divorce it from a instrument of power, right? So it's a, an arm of control from primarily the white establishment, but like the, the wealthy white establishment against any type of growth for people of color. Mm -hmm. um, so I think in practice, in many ways, it's used as an instrument of, of power and unfortunately of like generating revenue, which is mm -hmm. horrible, but it's true. Yeah. Like, that's real. Private prisons. Yeah, that's, that's real. That's, that's real. Yeah. We'll get into that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So did you learn about policing in school at all? Like was this a topic included in your textbook? It definitely wasn't included in any of my textbooks. Um, I, I will say I am fortunate though, kind of like civil rights and social justice is kind of in my family's DNA. My parents met in Birmingham doing this like type of work. So it was always something that was talked about and it was something that was expected of, of us to participate in. So I, I'm fortunate in that regard. Uh, I also had a fifth grade teacher from Watts, California. He was from the hood and he, Ooh. Ooh. basically made it clear in fifth grade that like we're not going to be learning the American history from the textbook I'm going to be teaching you actual American history so that was shout out to Mr. Waters Phil Waters I appreciate Waters. you uh, I appreciate you um but so I, I think that was really lucky to be able to learn about you know kind of the the, the raw American history the, the not so pretty stuff mm -hmm. and he also taught us a lot about like indigenous people and things like that so I say that to say this was in no way in any textbook that I ever had, but I had other forms of education. I was fortunate enough to have some black teachers that kind of kept it real with us a little and bit. And that's beautiful. I mean, I was also like, I, my, mon my Montessori elementary school was in Harlem and my middle Lord. school were both like black schools, black teachers. And I, now it's like so rare. I didn't realize that I think in that environment, but once I got to high school and college, I was like, oh, like, this is unique. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and being like, oh, wow. I thought, like, everybody went to, like, a black, like, every black kid went to a black school. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, it's not, yeah. It's, yeah. it's a, definitely a lucky thing to have black educators. It's definitely a yeah. problem. Yeah. How did you land on the topic of the history of police? Oof. Um... So obviously, I think it was two, three weeks ago that we, we executed the, the, um, the video. And I got to shout out my wife. My wife is super helpful and is like the, the tech behind all the, even <laughs> all the sauce tastes good. Yeah. So I can't leave here without letting, giving her some love. Um, yeah. Um, so two, three weeks ago, obviously, probably anyone listening to this doesn't need to, to be reminded of it. It was just a very... It is right now, but it was just very intense, tumultuous. A lot of, it was just a very kind of dark, dark time. And people were clearly hurting. Um, there was a lot of pain out there. And I don't think people really had an idea of where to go and where to, where to aim their, their feelings, their very validated feelings of despair in some ways. So <laughs> I thought like, okay, what's a good way that we can give a little bit more information on why we're seeing this problem provide and then provide a couple solutions uh to that so to, to hopefully to expand the conversation provide a little bit more data uh so when you know when people are if they're arguing with some knucklehead that is some all eyes matter fool that things like that you have a couple more statistics or <laughs> more importantly um when you are going to vote or when you are talking with a representative or more importantly when you run for office you're more educated on, on these issues so just provide a little bit of context uh provide a, a couple options for like productivity and like how we can move the ball forward as as opposed to just you know instagram sad feed you know yeah. which, 
that's it's I understand it. I do it from time to time, but like I, I think if that's only what you're doing, then that's not that's yeah. not going to move the needle. Yeah. Well, I really learned a lot from that video. Um, you talked about some really good like statistics and you know. Can you talk a little bit about like some of the early forms of policing that you mentioned in the video? Sure. So. Um, in the early 1700s, the, this wasn't a formal like police force or like policing institution, but mm -hmm. in the early 1700s in the Carolinas, what are now North and South Carolina, what would eventually start to resemble the police was uh, an organization as horrible as it sounds, I'm not making this up, they were called slave patrols and they were, their main responsibility was to catch uh, runaway enslaved African-American people, uh, and to crush any expected revolt, often violently, mo usually both violently, right? Yeah. So that gives you an idea of kind of the origins of policing um, <laughs> and why you've constantly seen, there's never been a time where the police and black and brown communities were not at odds. And there's a lot of strategy behind that. And I think even back to the 1700s, and a little bit I'm going to talk about even before that, but mm -hmm. these policing organizations were working for slave owners, right? They, yeah. That was their boss. That was part of the government. Yeah, that was their boss, right? It, what, they weren't even, they weren't representing like poor white people. No, usually they were poor white people that were, were working, working yeah. for, mm -hmm. yeah, right? And that's today, like no child of privilege becomes a police officer, like, that's not how that, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, so it's, it's, it still hasn't really adjusted uh, today. If you go back even further, so you go back to like the mid 1600s, 1675, 1676, there's something called Bacon's Rebellion, which was a black and white. And there's some uh, disagreement on the, the cause of this, but it, it, most historians would say it was a black and white, essentially labor, violent labor revolution. Um, and as a result of this, you saw what would what people would call like the kind of the plantation elite, right? So they, they, who you would say is the 1% now. As a result of this, they were very cruel, but very smart. And essentially what they did was they gave the white members of that rebellion, they gave them some rights, not as much rights as them, but some rights. So they had <laughs> They got paid a little bit. Uh, they were allowed to own guns. They had. They were allowed to own land. Mm -hmm. um, and most importantly, they these were the kind of original people that were, were recruited into the police force, mm -hmm. right? So they they essentially gave them jobs. Yeah, and, and they're separating. Poor. Yeah, they're like early right. separating the poor, and they're like, no, but you're white. Yeah, but you're white, so you're better than those people that you were with. Two weeks ago, you don't were don't be with them anymore. Yeah, Actually yeah. We hunt them down. Exactly, right? Work for us. And this isn't like this isn't even unique to America, right? Like that type of division of poor people, that's thousands and thousands of years. That's French Revolution. That's it. That that this has been the game plan for forever. Yeah. You have to have poor people fighting each other, but you have mm -hmm. to. And you can't let them unite. You can't let no, them. No, 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 because that would be that's bad. Because then they you they would be like, oh. It was you the whole time. And, and they not, all number everybody at the 1%, right? Exactly, right? Like the, the numbers aren't good. And you see it even to in like a Donald Trump campaign, right? Like mm -hmm. Mexican people are stealing your job. These Mexican people aren't taking poor white people's stuff. Like, what are you talking? Like, so it's it, this type of rhetoric is yeah. not new. It's mm -hmm. not even a, new to the world outside. It was well before America was established, but... America has taken it to a level that has not been seen before. Yeah, it's like deeply ingrained in our DNA. Yeah, very, very much so. Yes, do you think that, understanding this history, but yeah. all the way back, right? Yeah. Do you think that policing can change or like, especially from its racist past, I think, look, anything's possible, but I think the, I for damn sure do not believe that police can police themselves. Like that's been, 
proven time and time and time and time again. Mm -hmm. I think the right approach is to just slash budgets so they don't have the power to do these things. They don't have the resources to do these things and really invest that back into black, brown, excuse me, black, brown and poor communities. Mm -hmm. um, I think that, you know, they're in, as we reimagine what police look like, I think there probably is some form of, you know, if they, breaking up domestic violence or anything like that. I think there may be some form of law enforcement. Mm -hmm. But I think we need to really dramatically reimagine what, like, law and order policing, what these things are. Uh, and I don't think the change is going to come from any within any police department. It's going to come from major budget cuts. It's going to come from major investment in communities, major police oversight, like actual police oversight mm -hmm. with power. And I, I would also think like a lot of things don't, we don't need legal changes. We just need to like, like killing someone in broad daylight on videotape is illegal, right? Well, that's, that's not, that's not debatable. That's not like up. That's not a, so there's no law that needs to change. Like, there just need to be some form of accountability. So, mm -hmm. okay, yeah. I mean, do you think? Why do you think that with these videos, right? We have, you know, what I guess. What are some of the historical things or things that you just think in general are the reasons why we we now have these videos, but we still continue to see police not fired you know if you think about brianna taylor you know mm -hmm. they haven't been arrested i think one has been fired one has been fired and that's it like yeah. two of them are still getting public money nobody's gone to jail nobody no so yeah. like what you know like with these videos which is also like something i feel so conflicted about because it's like i think it's important that these things are being captured but then when you see them on social media especially as a black person it's like Horrible. It's horrible. And then I'm like wondering, are people getting desensitized because it's so it's quote, common now, you know, but that's like another subject. But my question is like, what, why do you think, I mean, it's probably ingrained in the history that you just mentioned, but like, why do you think even with these videos, even with the outcry of protest that police are still being protected, you know, by these systems? Why are we not getting acquittals? Why are we not even getting arrests? That is a really good question. I think, I think the videos are helpful. I personally don't watch any of the videos anymore. It's not good for my head and I just don't need to do that to myself. Um, I think it, it's like anything, I think it's much deeper. I, I think like America as, and many other countries, not just America, but we're talking like centuries of media, and artistic depictions of black people as not people, as like always deservant of whatever punishment that comes their way. Uh, lesser you know, than. Lesser than they had, like you're lucky that we have you here. Like I do think it's deeply, anti-blackness is deeply ingrained in America and around the world. So I, I do think that has an impact of, I can see someone being murdered on a videotape and my first reaction is, well, like, I wonder what they did. Like, we, yeah. would, we wouldn't do that. Like, example, like, um, if Trayvon Martin's name was Timothy Martin or Tiffany Martin, and this was a little white kid, like, we would never accept a self-appointed Batman-like figure that would just go and attack him, like, they're, him or her. So I, I do think, like, the level of anti-blackness just and this is like the thing we need to hold media accountable and hollywood and all that stuff too like i think people are programmed to not consider black people to be like people right yeah so i think that's big i do i also think because policing is such an arm of or has been such an arm of power and control and white supremacy and like just in general like protecting the one percent there are so many mechanisms within criminal justice that make it basically impossible to to hold a, a cop accountable unless this police officer said out of his or her mouth like I did this because this person was black and I wanted it to do it because they were black and I'm a white supremacist and they were black like that you, you and cops 
they learn like they they know like there's some things that you can't say like especially in the the era of color blindness mm. right like it, i think racial coding is very important like racism and kind of just evolved right like when ronald reagan and richard nixon were talking about like ghetto queens driving bentley's on welfare queen like everyone knows who you're talking about. crack baby like yeah you know who you're talking about they like, use different adjectives exactly right but it still triggers things in like everyone knows what that is it's a the dog. image in your mind is that of a black person exactly right but then that's not black but exactly so like there are mechanisms with it like you can't say these niggers are out of control you can't say that but you can say these crack babies and gangster thugs and uh welfare queens are taking your shit yeah everyone knows what that means right? exactly yeah like, that's a good point that's a good so point. i think with i think just media images being so horrible of black people in america and around the world plus systems within criminal justice that just protect so well and the evolution of racism is i think these are main reasons i don't have a great example <laughs> yeah. reason. none of these are good reasons but yeah. i think they are they do go to kind of understand that a little bit so do you think that like because i feel like this is the first time that like i wish i pulled the statistics about it but like you talk about how like even like all the protests are like worldwide this is like one of the largest world civil rights movements right now which is for sure no doubt do you think these protests and people voting and stuff like that because i think people are going to the polls now do I you agree. think that will change you know policing or and what do you think the future would look like or maybe i might even allow allow you to like if you had a perfect world <laughs> yeah what, no, for sure. you know what i mean yeah so first of all i think we're, we should look at this as a marathon, not a sprint, but I, I do think we should give ourselves pats on the back along the way. Like the, the level of protests that we're seeing led by millennials mm -hmm. and Gen Z, I, I don't know if I ever thought I would see something like this, like global protests, like toppling of white supremacist statues, like just the level of engagement. I. I am blown away in a, in a very positive way. Like I think mm -hmm. the protesting is definitely working and should, should continue. Um, yeah. I think I don't want to take anything for granted. Like I don't, I don't think anyone should say, uh, we did it. Like yeah, the work racism's is over. Like we, we did it. Like this is a, this is definitely a, 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 a long-term thing. And you gotta vote people into the office, and you gotta buy black businesses, and you gotta make sure black kids are doing okay. You gotta make Only sure black you know, like it, this has this. It, it's this is a marathon not a sprint. So, like, I'll put it this way: like the uh, Montgomery bus boycotts lasted 381 days before the buses were desegregated, and I would argue that we're asking for a hell of a lot more this time. We're demanding a hell of a lot more this time. So, this is a long process right this is going to take a while but i think the global nature and the sheer size of these protests are super impressive and inspiring but i think we also need to to keep our foot on the gas too because this is a long fight and we're 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 essentially we're we, this moment has afforded us an opportunity to kind of reimagine how america works and you know and like so this is not something that should be um, passed on. I don't know if I answered your question. Yeah, no, no, you did, you did. I mean, in the perfect world, what, how do you see the future of policing? That's a big question. <laughs> I, think, I think policing and criminal justice should be a last resort mm -hmm. and not like the first option. And mm -hmm. right now it is not only the first option, but it's like a, a targeted, revenue generating operation that specifically targets black and brown communities like you know they've got very slick they won't say you know we're not slave patrols anymore or they've gotten very they, they can't do that but like the level of surveillance and police presence in black and brown communities could be considered like an occupation right mm -hmm. so i think in dramatically 
divesting in policing and incarceration and and taking those funds and actually invest i think it's i think i like defund the police but i think it's better is divest and invest right so divest in out of worst case scenario invest in best case scenario like that right so you know school budgets need to be times by 10. uh Mm -hmm. mental health services need to be free and readily available. Like, I think this is an opportunity to pass some sort of, some form of healthcare for all Americans, right? Like, take this ridiculous budget that we are investing in locking ourselves up, disproportionately black and brown versions of ourselves, mm-hmm. uh, invest those funds into actually making us healthy, into making sure the environment works for black and brown people, making sure education works, jobs works. So I think policing, jails criminal like justice right these are last ditch efforts and we should really invest in what we want to happen not for what we fear will happen because like even here and um in la like we were protesting in front of the mayor's house Mm -hmm. because they just have like i don't even remember the exact amount but they had like almost like a million or something like that dollars towards investing in police in particular and so we oh. got him to defund although which I don't is know. great yeah that that up. seriously that's that's what's up like that's yeah. have a drink on that one that's a big <laughs> deal you know like <laughs> right yeah and so it's just like the amount of money that you know they're investing in police and law and order is just kind of ridiculous yeah, like it's it's crazy. Like I don't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. Yeah, and I think like what you were just saying about how we need to like de- divest and invest. Like I love that statement because I think that that's really what is at the root of this. It's like if we actually spent our money on making sure people had the right mental health, Word. they had health care, then like these things like drug dependency and you know just feeling like the only way out is to do. Crimes, you know, I think yeah. the root of it is our social services that we allow people to have. Totally. Like, this is a survival mechanism, right? I think a lot of crime can be rooted in, well, something's here. A lot <laughs> of crime can be rooted in desperation, right? Like, yeah. you can't expect people to be doing great if, if you're not invested in them to be doing well, right? Like yeah, even with the education system, even if the teachers and are not getting paid and the students are not coming to class, like it's just like if there's not if there's not like environments that are cultivating people to it's do well. Totally. Like we got we gotta invest in the things we want, right? Well, mm-hmm. in life you get what you invest your money and your time in. <laughs> nine times out of ten. And if you invest in locking people up, you're going to lock people up. But if you invest in making sure people in your country are okay, right? Like you're going to get those outcomes too. So in a way it's like, you know, we got to, let's lean a little on optimism too, you know? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I love that. I think now like defunding police and abolishing police are like these two phrases that are talked about. Like it's like normal conversations, like new vocabulary phrases that I think are very powerful. What are you defunding the police or abolishing police? Like, what's your stance on? I would say, and this is a tricky one. I would say I am more than both of those. I am divest and invest. Okay. That 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 I would say is my strategy. I think, and this is me being like a nerdy strategy person, Mm -hmm. but I think there is a chance that the defund and abolish name mm-hmm. could be used against people in political campaign. Like it could be used as a dog whistle and make people, frankly, make Republicans have a, an argument that they, they just totally make up mm-hmm. now. And I think like, so I, I don't necessarily ever use the term defund, but essentially I mean that like divest and invest is like, look, investing in things that actually keep us safe long term mm-hmm. um, while cutting police budgets in half, which is still a, like a radical notion like that is that's a dramatic shift in where we are. But I typically and this is me being a nerdy strategy person, <laughs> but that, I typically say 
divest and invest. That's typically my stance on it. That's great. What, how do you think, like, as we move forward, and I think there's a lot of, like, you know, everyone's posting black squares and painting yeah. Black Lives Matter on the streets, you know, and I feel like that could be a little distracting, you know, yeah. a little distracting. Mm -hmm. How do we make sure that we keep policing, holding policing accountable, defunding police at the forefront of the agenda? I mean, there's, there's a lot of things at the forefront, but how do yeah. we keep that? How do we not feed into this, like, performative allyship? Great question. I think people need to hold themselves and the spaces that they occupy accountable, meaning so people that work in corporate America or whatever, whatever facet that you work in, like if your company is posting like a PR state, because for to me, those are PR statements until proven otherwise, right? Exactly. It's cool now to say that black people are important, right? Like that's, it's cool. Um, but like, I gotta know how many black executives you have. I, I gotta know all your black and brown employees are making as much money, male and female, uh, as your white male and female counterparts doing the same work. Um, I think in terms of keeping policing on the forefront, I think the protesting is, the level of these protests are, I don't wanna say unstoppable, but like, yo, it feels that way and I love like, it. <laughs> this is not a joke. The level of the protests, at the, I'm, I wouldn't want to be against this. <laughs> I, I wouldn't. No thanks. Uh, that, <laughs> You're outnumbered. <laughs> yeah, like, I, no thank you. So I think keeping protests going, but knowing that protests are a great way to show our strength and numbers and rage, but protests without strategy is just, we're just yelling. So, like, turn these protests into uh, policy discussions and uh, uh, voter registrations and black business foundings and things mm -hmm. like that can kind of, and, and, and making sure black and brown babies are okay. Like these things are important and kind of working that into the strategy. I will also say, and this is a little bit off topic from our conversation, <laughs> this moment came about because of a policing video, but even though the police are enormously important and have been an instrument of oppression, they're really just one instrument, right? Yeah, I think if we're not, yeah, right? Like if we're not, not only police and criminal justice, but we're, if we're not including like economic inclusion in this, like I'll say it, reparations needs to happen. Like okay. I, think, I think a very legitimate, I personally am of the belief that we as African-American people have never actually gotten full citizenship in the United States, right? Yeah. Like I, 60% of all wealth, 60% to two thirds of all wealth is inherited. Well, we weren't allowed to make money until very recently and considering where, where they are in the history of the country. So talking the, the average white family has 10 times the wealth of the average black family and that's government made right like you can't take that away so i think policing absolutely needs to be front and center of this we need to dismantle systems of white supremacy and oppression within policing uh we've gotta divest and invest in, in out of policing and into communities but i think we gotta understand like this is one finger in the fist of oppression, oppression. right? Yeah. <laughs> like, so like they, now they're the muscle, like they can cause a lot of damage. Okay, so we're like kind of getting towards the end. We'll do like some games. Cool. So what are some, like what are two or three things that you would like people to know about the history of police, you know, as they step away from this, listening to this or watching this conversation? What are like two or three things that you think they should I, be putting in their brain? <laughs> I would say, Under no circumstances can you remove the history and systems of policing from white supremacy. You cannot possibly do that. Now, are there, has there ever been a nice police officer that wasn't racist? Yes, there was. But like, you can't, the function, the structures of policing are deeply, <laughs> deeply racist. Like you, that, that's just a reality. Um, I also think, Policing in many instances is often uh, used as an instrument of 
darker hands of of worse power mm -hmm. um so as much as like individual police officers and individual police departments need to change i think that it's much bigger than than that uh and i think oh here's the last one police budgets are funded locally mm -hmm. so not to say you shouldn't yell at your senator or the president or anything about or your congressperson about police budgets but you really should be getting in your mayor's face about this or your 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 government right your like your local people they're the ones that are putting that those tax dollars in policing so i think understanding your enemy is very important and mm -hmm. really has realizing how that's funded and I, it, there's no shame in not knowing that you're kind of built for you to not know that so let's see we have a quick game of this or that let's do it um and it's basically just like stuff that we've already talked about um so i'm just gonna rapid fire give you two options can't really explain and you have to choose okay. one okay okay so defunding versus abolishing um i would say defund is better than the other one but i would still go divest invest <laughs> <laughs> clever 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 okay yeah, yeah, yeah. Local elections versus presidential elections. Oh man, that's so hard. I would that's honestly tough. say local, but please also <laughs> vote in your presidential. Like they I don't. I will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> land or money? Land, like land, like owning land. Yeah, land, like we're talking land, about oh, land. 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 Okay, land. One hundred percent land. Okay. Land is money. Like that. Yeah. Yes. If you had to write a chapter on policing in a textbook, what would you call it and why? I would say policing, an arm of oppression. Oh, okay. That's what I would go with. And uh, why would you pick that name? And I would pick that name kind of similar to what we talked about, like just how Jim Crow laws and economic exclusion and other strategic barriers are those i think those are arms of oppression too and in many ways they can have even more devastating effects but i think really understanding the root of policing as in many ways uh a way to oppress one community while you kind of fool another community who mm -hmm. in reality the worst thing for these planter plantation elite would be if these two people were like wait a second, wait, hold on. We don't care about race. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we don't care about race. And also, poor, uneducated white people, black people aren't taking shit from you. There's no history of black people fucking with you. There is none. Like, you've been told that for a long time. Propaganda. <laughs> yeah, you've been, to, like, media, Hollywood, they, they've told you this. Just like Mexican people aren't taking your job and Muslim people aren't coming for you and all these things. What they cannot happen is they cannot have a bunch of poor people being like, wait a second. I know you speak Spanish and I'm Muslim and I'm from a trailer park and I'm black, but it seems like the same people are fucking with us. Right? Like yeah. that is something that cannot happen. So. And like being like, oh wow, we all collectively as folks from different backgrounds who are struggling socioeconomically, we all collectively have power. Yeah. Our brains together to put our minds together to put our voting together to make change. Well, you're they're in trouble. Like that that's that is not that is a not okay scenario for no, no. the plantation elite as they no, say. No, no. For the one percent. Yes, yeah. <laughs> okay, so thank you so much. Can you tell us you. where they can find you, where they can check you out and support you because you know, Will's stuff is amazing. If you haven't checked out um, Politics in 60 Seconds, you definitely should. But let us know, like, where we can find you. If you have any upcoming projects you want people to check out and support, this is the time to plug yourself. For sure, for sure. So I was just on this really dope podcast called This Wasn't In My Textbook, so you should check that out. Oh, thanks. Uh, I was like, oh, you're uh, on yep. podcast. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you knew, Toya. Um, <laughs> but I would say the vast majority of my stuff is on my Instagram accounts called Other Will Cooper. Um, check us out. We do really quick uh, political videos. Uh, hopefully they're really uh, impactful and effective. The next couple episodes are going to be on uh, voter suppression and uh, how that could affect um, the November elections. And then the following one's going to be on reparations too. So 
keep it keep an eye out for those two things those are gonna be dropping pretty soon um but yeah instagram other will cooper is is where you're gonna find most of my stuff okay well thank you so much Will. and that is the conclusion of episode four on the history of policing with our special guest will cooper from 60 seconds in politics Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed and learned anything from this episode, please leave a review on your favorite streaming platform. If you want to take a deeper dive into some of the history we discussed today, definitely check the show notes on our new website. It also includes all his social media so you can support him. If you haven't already, make sure to follow that wasn't in your textbook on Instagram and Twitter. Give us a like on Facebook. Subscribe to us on our YouTube channel. And okay, that was a lot of info. So make sure you tune in on Friday, August 14th for our episode on the history of tea. And I mean like literal tea, like the hot tea and the water, not like tea, like the gossip tea, but you know. (laughs) So thank you again for listening. Come back on Friday, August 14th for our History of Tea episode. And remember, knowledge is power.